This morning, we are beginning a new, a new teaching series. And if you've been paying attention to the slide up ahead or above me, the teaching um, series is called Journey to Hope. Now, what big holiday is coming up um, where we think of the word hope and the, and the concept and process of hope? What big holiday? Christmas. Now, if you've been around shopping at Walmart or Target or wherever, I don't remember where I was a few days ago, I think it was Rite Aid, and they already have Christmas decorations up. And so I thought to myself, man, they're really gearing up. It seems every year, and I'll say this again next year, because it seems that every single year the Christmas decorations come out earlier and earlier, right? Yes. So what we decided to do here at Orange, uh, myself and the other pastors on staff, what we decided that we would do is that we would begin a sermon series titled Journey to Hope. So if everything else around us is already talking about Christmas songs, Christmas music, and Christmas decorations, also want to talk about Christmas. And so we have a series for Advent, but we have this series now that's going to lead us towards the process or that journey to hope. And this morning's um, teaching title is Hope in the Midst of Hopelessness. So if you'll bow your heads with me so we can begin. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we are eternally grateful um, that, that you sent your Son to this earth to give us hope, to give us light, and to fill us with this never-ending joy. And so, God, we pray now that as we open up your holy word, that it wouldn't just be Bible verses that we read, but that your very spirit would be teaching us and flowing in and among us, and that you would transform us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So, we live in a world where everything has an expiration date. How many of you have ever had a gallon of milk in your refrigerator? And it's been there for a while, but, you know, you don't realize. And how many of you have ever po poured a bowl, of a bowl of milk into a bowl of cereal, and after your first bite, you realize that the milk has gone bad? Now, that hasn't happened to me because I don't drink milk. <laughs> I drink almond breeze, I think is what it's called. It tastes good. Um, but just a few, maybe a few weeks ago, my daughter poured a bowl of cereal and I was upstairs getting ready, and, and as she, I, I assumed that's what she was doing because I heard like her yell and be like, oh my goodness, this is disgusting. And so I'm like, oh, whatever, 17-year-old drama, right? So I come downstairs, and I realized that the milk had gone bad, and she actually had taken a bite or two. And so everything, everything in this world has an expiration date. Everything does. If you go to the grocery store, everything has an expiration date, but it's not just food or drink items that have expiration dates. Membership to all sorts of services, to the gym, to Spotify, to whatever it is that we subscribe to online, those have expiration dates as well. Contracts have expiration dates. Credit cards have expiration dates. Sometimes jobs have expiration dates. And even relationships have expiration dates. Life also has an expiration date, and that's death. And I think if we allow it to, the idea of death can paralyze us. The idea that one day we will breathe our last breath can make us sad, depressed, because it is unavoidable, and it's different for all of us. This, this morning, um, Kim's not here with us because a few days ago, she drove her mom out to Las Vegas, not to the Strip to go party, but because... Kim's uncle has cancer, and it doesn't look good, and he's on, he's on a breathing machine. She sent a picture. I've never met the man. But she's out there with her mom, 
Um, because in essence, her mom is saying goodbye to her brother because life has expiration dates. And we can't really beat the battle with death, can we? You see, if, if we stop and look around, death and hopelessness is all around us. And, and what, if you were to go online, one of the most popular television shows right now, it's the show called The Walking Dead. And it's kind of like a zombie apocalypse. I'm not really sure what the premise of it, but it, there's zombies involved in it. But apparently there's a group of survivors, and, um, and I was watching one little bit of it, and one of the girls says, why do we even try to fight going to die? It's inevitable, and it will be soon. Hopelessness isn't just a part of our lives and the re real part of our lives, but it is everywhere, all around us, all of the time. It's in television shows. It's in novels. It's on the news every single day. And it's this hopelessness. It's in our politics. If you vote for this, we're doomed. If you vote for this guy, we're doomed. It seems like we're doomed either way, right? That's what they're telling us. Just come back in a few weeks and we're going to have hope in the midst of divisive politics teaching. It's going to be fun. You're going to love it. No, I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. Or you can write my name in, you know, for the president if you want. But the truth is, is that hopelessness, it's everywhere. And if we allow it to, it will discourage us and it will get us down. I have a friend who is going to, through a very difficult time in his life. And he says to me, he says, listen, um, I've been reading the book of Job and I can totally understand where he is coming from in this time of pain. And so if you have the Red Bible in front of you, if you didn't bring a Bible, I invite you to open to the book of Job. Job chapter 6, and in the Red Bibles in front of you, it is page 362. So Job has lost everything. He has sores growing all over his body. I mean, the guy, he's at the point where he's just ready to end it all because it's, it's hopeless. He cannot imagine things getting any better. And so this is what Job says in Job chapter 6, verse 1, verse 2. If only my anguish could be weighed down, and all my misery be placed on scales, it would surely outweigh the sand of the seas. No wonder my words have been impetuous or without care or without thinking of what he's saying. He says, if all of my misery can be weighed on a scale, it would outnumber the sands of the sea. The idea is that it is so heavy for him that he would rather just die. He would rather have his life come to an end because the hope is beginning to lose, he is beginning to lose sight of hope that things could get better. I'm glad that we don't ever have to go through this. Amen? That's a joke. That's uh, sarcasm, Jim. Sarcasm. <laughs> he was giving me a hard time last night at small group. <laughs> That's a joke. No, because we, we know exactly what this feels like. If you've ever gone through a divorce, you know how painful that can be. If you've lost a job, if, you've, um, if your house is upside down and you're just like, man, it's just way too much for me to pay, if your kid has gotten sick or a family member has gotten ill or passed away, you know that sometimes the grief and the heaviness that comes with this, it's almost as though it's too much. I don't want to get out of bed. I would rather just breathe my last breath. And Job continues, oh, in verse 8, oh, that I might have my request that God would grant what I hope for. Now, you say like, oh, he's hoping for something. Okay, there's a little bit of hope, but look at what he hopes for, that God would be willing to crush me, to loose his hand and cut me off, that I would still have this consolation, my joy of God granting him this in unrelenting pain, that I had not denied the words of the Holy One 
What strength do I have that I should still hope? So he's like, okay, I don't want to curse God. I don't want to be against God. So God, if you will just kill me now, then I don't have to curse you and, and, and regret it, I guess, in the afterlife or whatever he's thinking of in his mind. But see, the idea is that for Job, I said Joel, didn't I? I meant Job. The idea for Job is that things have gotten to the point where there is no more hope and his only hope is for God to end it all. And so my friend who's going through this difficult time, he tells me, he says, listen, um, yeah, I'm there. I can completely understand what he is going through. And I can't see how this will get any better. And so then a few weeks later, this very same friend of mine, he says, um, you know, existentialism, it's very powerful because it's true. Now, the word existentialism is it's a word that we use in the classroom, right? It's the things that we read in philosophy books. So I'll, I'll define it this way. It is the idea that every person is responsible for him or herself. There is nothing more. There is no greater help. Life is just what it is, and you make the best of it. The problem with this is if you feel like you don't have anything more to give, there's nothing more to give, right? And so the problem with existentialism, and, and this is not a big critique, I'm just saying, the problem with that is it's, it's kind of like there's no hope. There's no hope. I would say this. I would say it this way. Another way to define existentialism is think of the songs and the music of Simon and Garfunkel. Do you guys know Simon and Garfunkel? I know Simon and Garfunkel, I know. It's before my time, but my soul is old. <laughs> and there's one song in particular, and, and, um, and, it, and it starts off with, Hello, darkness, my old friend. I come to talk with you again. It's restless dreams I've walked, in restless dreams I've walked alone, and in the naked light I saw 10,000 people, maybe more, people talking without speaking, people hearing without listening. And so he's kind of, if you were to hear the whole song and read it, he's almost like describing just this mass of people living after things that aren't meaningful. And what we find is in songs like not just this from long ago, but even in songs today, the hopelessness permeates everything. Things can't get any better. And we begin to live into the story of Job. But in the midst of hopelessness, because we believe in a God who set all things in motion and in a God who has not left us to be on our own, in the midst of darkness, light shines. I would put it this way. Christian hope is not born out of despair and tragedy. Christian hope is born and cultivated before the despair comes. So let me break this down for you to see if we can kind of understand this. Oftentimes when we go through really difficult times, you begin to see people come to Jesus as a result of these difficult and, and heavy times in a person's life, right? We see this. The problem, and there's not a problem with that, I'm just saying that the problem sometimes for us as Christians is we don't really take time to develop our relationship with God, and then when the difficult times come, we, we often find ourselves praying and praying and praying really hard, and we try to have hope. But let me ask you guys this question, and you don't have to raise your hands. How many of you, in the midst of this very struggle of this difficult time, you're praying and you're praying and you're praying, but you don't really feel hopeful? Has that ever happened to any of you? I would suggest this, and this is not a judgment on your life of faith. It's a judgment on my life of faith, always my life. I would say that perhaps we are not spending enough time cultivating the relationship with Jesus. 
You see, Christian hope isn't, oh, I'm going through a really difficult time and now I have hope. It's, I have been cultivating this relationship with God all of these years so that when the difficulty and the hardships come, it's okay because I have my reserve to fall back on. And the idea behind that is a relationship with God always provides strength. Let me give you a real-day example of this. There have been times in my life of ministry um, where things have been difficult and heavy and hard and have caused a lot of anxiety and pain to me as a pastor. I turn to God, but I also turn to who? To my wife. And she may not necessarily have to say or do anything, but because I've cultivated this relationship with her, I know that I can always fall back on, the, on her because she will help to keep me strong. She can't make the problem go away. She can't really make it any better, but knowing that she's in it with me and going through it with me makes me all the more stronger. Makes me all the more strong? Makes me stronger. And, and in essence, when we think about our relationships with God, God is the one who may not take everything away, but who goes with you and walks through you through the painful times of life. Hope. It's not that God will change everything, it's that there is light at the end of the tunnel. Another way, another thing we could say is this, hope is birthed and developed before you find yourself in difficult situations, amen? That's the only way it's real. When you've developed and cultivated it before it happens, because otherwise, what you're really doing, if you haven't had this relationship with Jesus, when a difficult time comes, you're just wanting a selfish escape route. And you're not really relying on God. Now, I don't know how else to put this. And I, and, I, and I tell this, and I have this conversation with Kim all of the time and with other people as well, is that our relationship with God doesn't determine how easy or painless our life is. Our relationship with Jesus determines our meaning, our purpose, and our hope. And bad times will come, and difficult times will come, because after all, Jesus was killed. So you may be thinking, yeah, but Jesus doesn't know what I went through. No, I think he does. Because Jesus dies, we're still living. I mean, he was resurrected, but you know what I'm saying, right? <laughs> Sorry. Our relationship with Jesus doesn't guarantee that life will be easy. It just means that he will give us the joy and the hope that is needed to get through all things. So if you don't believe me... Um, Let's take the, the Scripture's word for it. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to Psalm 71. And these two slides, I'll show you how this is true. Psalm 71, verse 5. And the psalmist writes, For you, God, have been my hope, O sovereign Lord, my confidence since my what? Youth. The idea here is that there is a history, there is a past between the psalmist and God. And God has been this psalmist or the writer or David's hope since when? Since his youth, since before. It is something that is cultivated and it is something that is developed. Faith and hope go hand in hand. And, and it doesn't just come out of the spur of a difficult situation. It's something that is developed. Now, let me give you a caveat, and this isn't in my notes. If someone is going through a difficult situation and cry out to God, will God listen? Yes. Yes, God is graceful. God is better than you and me. We may not. We may say, well, you got yourself into this, now get yourself out of it. Thankfully, God is not like that. 
the Bible, the central narrative of the Old Testament and, and the New Testament is that the people of God, while they were in Egypt, they cried out and God heard their cry and he rescued them. This the psalmist in Psalm 71 says, you have been my hope since my youth. Now, I'm just going to invite you to turn over a few more pages to Psalm 117. Remember, we started with the world. Everything in this world has an expiration date. Psalm 117 will show us the one thing that doesn't. Psalm 117 says this, praise the Lord, all you nations. That's the biblical saying, everybody, praise the Lord, extol him, all you peoples, for great is God's steadfast love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures for how long? Forever. Praise the Lord. The great is God's steadfast love toward you. The faithfulness of the Lord endures forever for. I don't know about you, but this is very good news because everything around me decays and and rust destroys it and moth destroys it. Everything around me is dying off slowly, and yet the one thing that we find in the Scripture that lasts is love and his stead... What is it? His, um, His steadfast love and God's faithfulness endures forever. It means that God will be faithful to you through all and every circumstance. Amen? Now, for some of you, you're like, yeah, pastor, but you don't know what I'm going through. Pastor, I I know, and and God bless you, you're young, and you still have a whole life to experience. I know, I've I've gotten that before. I've had people say, "Um, you know, what am I going to learn from you? Why am I going to come to your church? Like, they actually told this to me, a person. I was like, I don't know a lot, (laughs) you know? It's God who's going to teach you, not me. (laughs) But, But the truth is, is... I read this passage, and it brings such great hope and comfort to me. Because although everything else may fade away, God's love and God's faithfulness will remain forever. And the one thing that we have to, I have to give voice to here is, and, and I'm going to be honest with you guys, okay? Sometimes God's love and faithfulness doesn't feel like enough for me. Have you ever experienced that? Sometimes you can read this passage and you're just like, yeah, I know, God, but you have no idea how much this hurts. God, this is great, but you have no idea what this is doing to my family. God, this is great, but you have no idea how painful and difficult and what this is doing to my soul. The thing is this, God's love, we want it to function like human love. The problem is human love runs out. And human love has limitations. The reason the Psalm 117 is so powerful is because this is one of God's ways of being and moving and having his being in the world. A God who is not somewhere far away, but rather a God who is faithful and whose love will endure for you forever. And it is this that should lay the foundation for your life of faith. Last night in our small group, we were talking and, and we asked the question, why should we give honor and glory to God? And we had this discussion for about 20 or 30 minutes talking about why we should. Now, the answer, the very simple answer that a Christian would give is just because God is worthy of praise and honor. But there's more to it than that. 
You see, we think that God is asking us to do something for Him, but in reality, what we find in the Bible is that God is the one who is always doing something for us first. It is God who comes to you first, and it is God who is always faithful. Are you always faithful to God in God's ways? No, none of us are. Are you always faithful to your children and your wife? I'm not saying like adultery or anything, but just are you always the, the, the man that God is calling you to be or the woman that God is calling you to be? No, we're not. We're not faithful. We're sinners. And yet what we find is that God is faithful to you even when you don't deserve it. So let me give you another little story. Last Sabbath was my first time, my first experience into the Orange County Women's Prison, right? So we have a prison ministry that is continuing to grow, um, and we want to thank all of you who are here who are part of the prison ministry. So last Sabbath was my first time, and so I thought I was just going to go and sit there and enjoy um, doing ministry alongside of these, my brothers and sisters in Christ, so I thought I'm going to go and hang out, but they asked me to do the sermon. Now, I preach every single week, right? Sometimes more than once a week. The problem is I've never spoken to inmates. What do you say to inmates? I mean, what do you say? You did the crime, now pay, what is it? You did the crime, now do the time. (laughs) You're going to be in here for how long? What do you say? So I sat there and and it's, just, and it's just so awesome how the, the group that I went with, they're just so seasoned by now. They've been going for several months, but they, they know each other. They're laughing with the inmates. They're saying all this. And I'm sitting there like, I, I have no idea what's happening here. But here's what I found. These 37 ladies who were in this room that we were ministering to, they had hope. They had peace. But you know what they were doing for it, what they were doing? One girl would say, you know, I want to I share a prayer request for so-and-so. She's going through this, or her dad is going through this, or whatever, right? Like a prayer request you would hear in a church. And then after we would, we would hear the prayer request, then a girl, like two rows in front of her, would turn around and kind of reach her hand out and be like, thank you. And this would go on. And they started to ask for prayer requests for each other. Now, when you're in jail, what I've seen on TV and on the movies um, and on lockup is you act tough, right? And you don't want to show any vulnerability or any weakness because they'll pounce on you, right? I don't know. That's what I see on TV, right? Probably not the best place to learn about it, but that's what I see. And, and what I found is that in this room, these women let down all of their walls, and they weren't asking us to minister to them. This was where they were free to minister to each other. This was hope. This was these women like just saying like, yeah, we're in here, we're going to do our time, but it was about so much more. And for all of them, they were like, yeah, we've hit bottom, but we know that God will do amazing things. Some of them would be like, I know that God has me here so that I can learn something. That's, I'm like, I'd be crying if I was in jail, I think. And, and they were just so full of life and caring for one another. At one point, I even said, um, I wish my entire church could be here with us so we could experience because this is what church should really be about, people praying and sharing one another's struggles. That prison ministry, Lou, is just, it's, I can't even, they don't, we're not in there ministering to them. We're in there, they're ministering to us. Yes, we do a sermon and we preach, but they, what they are doing to us is showing us that in the bleakest of times, there is always hope to be 
found. Psalm 97.10 says this. Psalm 97 verse 10. Let those who, let those, I'm going to read it from this. Let those who love the Lord hate evil, for He, God, preserves the lives of His saints and He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. He preserves the lives of His saints. This is my daily mantra. This is my daily prayer and the thing that fills my every single thought that God preserves His saints. When we were there at prison ministry, can I just keep sharing a little bit more? Our service is shorter this week, so I can talk a little longer. When I was there, I, I, I said to this group of women who, who in essence are broken, and I asked them, I said, um, what does the Bible call you? And they're like, you know, saying all these things, right? Like, you know, bad stuff. And I was like, when the Bible writers talk about you, you who believe in Jesus, the word that is used is that you are a saint. You are a saint. And the Lord preserves his saints. And you, and, and you could just kind of see in their eyes like, I never thought about it that way. Society will castigate them and will say that they are horrible people. I don't want my kids around them, right, kind of thing. And yet the way God sees them is the exact opposite of humanity and society has seen them. So in the midst of hopelessness, in the midst of the heaviness that Job felt, in the midst of things are not going to get any better, or I cannot imagine how things are going to get better, the, the truth is, yeah, probably they may not get better quickly, but it doesn't matter because in the midst of that, God preserves the lives of his saints. You could say it this way, God preserves me. God preserves you. So we started talking about expiration and death. And death is pretty final for the most part, right? Now, I'm not talking about like Christian hope right now, but just death is pretty final, right? When you breathe your last breath, if the machines can't keep you alive, it's pretty final. And yet what we find in the Scriptures in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, page 815 in the Red Bibles, is that in the, in the, in the midst of insurmountable suffering and pain, heaviness and burdens. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 55. It says, death has been swallowed up in victory. Verse 55, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Where is your victory? Where is your sting? Jesus is like death, bring it on because I won. The very worst, and the reason this is important is because the very worst that can happen to you, the very heaviest of the things that can burden you, whatever it is, Jesus is like death. Expiration date. Where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Hey, that thing you're going through right now, it hurts. Do you guys think it hurt Jesus while he was on the cross a little bit? Probably. If you don't think so, I'll be glad to damn those. <laughs> yeah, it probably hurt a lot. And yet Jesus was living with such hope and with such purpose that he's like, death, where is your victory? This hurts right now. Yeah, it does. I'm bleeding. I'm dying. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? And Jesus on the cross has the audacity to say, it is done. Hey, devil, it is done. Death, done. 
There is nothing you can throw at me that can stop me from doing what I'm about to do. That is the central story that must shape your life. I would say it this way, that should be the narrative of your life. Hey, this difficult thing that you're going through, this insurmountable debt that you have to pay, where's your sting? Last time I checked, and says that he will give me everything I need. He doesn't say he give you everything you want, he'll give you everything you need. And so we have to look at the devil and, and say, where is your victory? Where is your sting? I don't even feel it because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I, would, I want to finish with just one or two more things. Last night, um, one of the things I like to do on Friday nights is I like to watch sermons. I listen to sermons all week long. When I go to the gym, when I'm running, I put them on my iPod and I listen. Distracts me from the pain that I feel as I'm working out. No, I'm just kidding. I feel no pain because I'm a machine. <laughs> just joke. Joke. Another joke. <laughs> I love this church, by the way. Can't you say that? I love that I get to stand up here and open up God's word with you and that you guys allow me to do that. And so I'm thankful for that. But last night, I was, as I do on Friday nights, on Friday nights I get a little fancy and I actually will watch them on my computer as opposed to just listen to them. And so the chaplain at La Sierra University, his name is Pastor Sam, or Sam Lenore. He was my chaplain, he is my friend. And so I was watching one of his sermons and he was talking about joy. And I want to read to you, and these are his words, and so I'm stealing them from him, but I'm giving him the credit. And he says this, joy is a virtue of the faithful. The opposite of joy, he says, is happiness. Happiness is a pursuit of the world because it is an ever-vanishing horizon. We are always running towards happiness. So the idea is if we put our happiness into things, into things, into phones, into computers, into cars, into clothes, into shoes, into purses, into homes, into jobs, into money, whatever it is, if we put our hope and our, our happiness in that, we're going to be disappointed because the moment that we attain this thing, there's going to be a newer, better one than that, Right? right? Just like the commercial on television where everybody's waiting for the iPhone 5 and the one guy comes across with a, another type of phone called a Galaxy S3 and, and the guy's like, and I think the commercial, what is it? The, ne the next new thing is already here. And the idea is that these two groups of people, like this one is always better than the other. And so we kind of fall into that way of thinking in this world where things, these other things are going to make us happier. But what Pastor Sam was saying is his happiness is a pursuit of the world, and it is an ever-vanishing horizon because we will always be running towards it. It's the idea of, I will be happy when. I will be happy when this happens. I will be happy when I get this. I will be happy when all of this works out. But what he says is that joy is a virtue of the faithful. Joy is developed by people of faith in God. Joy, listen to this, okay? Joy is not dependent on on our circumstances. Can I get an amen? amen? See, happiness is a feeling that comes and goes, right? Sometimes we're happy, sometimes we're not. But what he is saying is that joy, and what the Bible says is that joy is a virtue of the faithful, joy is not dependent on circumstances, and joy is rooted in God. Joy is not the absence of pain and suffering, but rather joy enables us to look beyond our present circumstances and we look to the sovereign God. Joy, hope, 
faith, they all go hand in hand. And I want to end with this quote from Henry Nouwen. It says, joy does not separate happy days from sad days, successful moments from moments of failure. It is a divine gift that does not leave us during illness, grief, oppression, or persecution. It does not depend on our circumstances. Who wouldn't want that? I am 30 years old, and I have gone through excruciatingly amounts of pain. Maybe not physical, but mental, emotional, spiritual. I don't stand up here and just read these words because it's my job. But it's I've been through trying times in my life, and I have found the hope and the joy that only comes in God. There have been times that things have been excruciatingly painful where it's just like, God, this that you're giving me doesn't feel like enough. Your joy, your love, your faith, I don't feel it. But it is always in those moments where when we turn to the sovereign God, God is like, the earth is my footstool. That's God's way of saying, please, I have this under control and I will get you through this. And if it hurts a little bit, I'm sorry. I'm not doing it to you. <laughs> but I will be there with you through the end. Because at the end of it all, our life has been given to us as a gift. God, I'm sure, knew that there was a possibility that we would all sin and that we would fall from grace. And we live in a sinful world. And yet God doesn't say, okay, now I'm taking you to heaven. Jesus' prayer is, God, just protect the disciples. Don't take them out of the world. Just keep them safe. And, it is, and that is Jesus' prayer for you this morning. It's not about getting out of this place. It's about you being open to God's goodness and his sovereignty now so that you can enjoy this gift that God has given you because life is a gift. Stop hating it. Enjoy it. Embrace it because it is a gift from the God and the creator of the universe. Your life is a gift. Do not waste it. Amen. I'd like to invite you to sing Cornerstone with me again. So for those of you guys who weren't here at the beginning of the service, it's our new theme song for this Journey of Hope series as we base our lives on this cornerstone on Jesus. So. You please stand. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame 
but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Christ alone, cornerstone, weak, made strong in the Savior's love. Through the storm, He is Lord, Lord of all. When darkness seems to hide His face, I rest on His unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. Christ alone, cornerstone, weak, made strong in the Savior's love. Through the storm, He is Lord, Lord of all. When He shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in Him be found. Dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne, Christ alone, cornerstone, weak, made strong in the Savior's love. Through the storm, he is Lord, Lord of all. One last time, Christ alone. Christ alone, cornerstone, weak, made strong in the Savior's love. Through the storm, he is Lord, Lord of all. Amen. We come before you in your throne of grace, and we know that we are unworthy of all of the things that you give us, your grace and your gift of life. But God, we are thankful that in your heart, that you deemed us valuable enough to give us the gift of salvation. And so this morning, Lord, we pray that through the suffering and through the storms, through the heaviness and the difficult times in our lives, that you would help us not to focus on the circumstances or the situations, but that you would help us to focus on your sovereignty, your power, your providence, and your grace that this life would be about so much more than finding happiness, but that we would live into your joy and that we would live into the purpose and meaning you have for us. 
may we honor and glorify you. We thank you for your grace. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.